Good morning. Please turn to your Bible to today's scripture reading, which is taken from Romans chapter 5, verses 9 to 11. Okay. Romans 5, chapter... Chapter, Romans chapter 5, verse 9. Since therefore we have now been justified by his blood, much more shall we be saved by him from the wrath of God. For if while we were enemies, we were reconciled to God by the death of his son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. Verse 11. More than that, we also rejoice in God through our Lord Jesus Christ, through whom we have now received reconciliation. May God help us to hear his word. Thank you for reading the word to us. Uh, let me lead us in prayer again uh, for, to prepare our hearts for the word, as well as some other matters in the life of our church. So let's pray together. Let's pray. Gracious Father, we thank you indeed that you are our God. We thank you that you are the one who made us. And even more than that, you are the one who has saved us. And Father, we thank you that we can come as no longer strangers, but children. We can come boldly and bring our requests to you because we are confident that you hear us because of your Son. And Father, we come and we pray that you would be glorified in the preaching and the hearing of your word. Father, we pray that your Spirit would move powerfully in our midst to give life, to give open hearts, open ears, open hands to receive you, to receive your Son. And Father, we do pray for the work of the Gospel beyond uh, our church walls as well. We pray for uh, the Celebration of Hope event. Father, we pray that through that event, your Gospel would be made clear, that your Gospel would be faithfully preached, Father, we pray for those who attend this event. We pray that hearts will be open, that people would see the beauty and magnificence of Christ, that hearts would turn to Him in repentance and faith. So, Father, we pray for those who serve on this event. Father, we pray that You would strengthen us, that You would give us grace to serve with boldness, with confidence, knowing that You are the one who brings life to the dead. You are the one who calls sinners to Yourself. And so, Father, we commit these things to you. We pray that you would bear much fruit through the work of the gospel here and elsewhere. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So it looks like it's, uh, it's, it's finally official. The numbers are in. It looks like we are really getting less happy. <laughs> so over the past few years, I don't know whether you've read the news, but over the past few years, Singapore has been slipping down the United Nations World Happiness Rankings. We were number 22 in 2016. We were 26 in 2017. And last year, we were 34. <laughs> so it's true, like we, are, we are all getting less and less happy. And in fact, this trend towards greater unhappiness is happening worldwide. You know, last year, there was a Gallup survey of 150,000 people in 146 countries. And according to this Gallup survey, world happiness levels are at their lowest in over a decade. I mean, we can think about the reasons why. Maybe people are more stressed, people are more worried. Uh, the threat of terrorism is growing. Uh, many, many reasons. You know, we, we all want to be happy, right? We, we, we take time to 
tidy up our lives. Right? We, we, we throw away stuff. We clear up our wardrobes all in the hope of sparking joy. Right? We, we, we chase after happiness. In fact, the pursuit of happiness is uh, understood to be a, a fundamental human right. And yet, our experience of happiness is often fleeting and fragile. You know, one, one writer put it this way, you know, happiness is merely an occasional episode in a general drama of pain. So should, we, should we just be stoical and, and resign ourselves to being unhappy, <laughs> to being miserable? You know, so you set your expectations lower so you won't be disappointed, right? You're going to temper your desire for happiness because you know that ultimately you will be let down. Now, should, that, should that be us? Should, should we just be stoics in that way? Or is there such a thing as true joy? Is there such a thing as true joy? And if so, where can we find it? Romans chapter 1 to 4 has focused mainly on two key questions. You know, why we need the gospel and what is the gospel? But knowing the gospel in theory is one thing. Living out the truths of the gospel in our daily lives is another. You know, so we must also understand not just the why and the what of the gospel, but we must understand the so what of the gospel. So what if we believe the gospel? You know, ask ourselves, what difference does believing the gospel make to our lives now, today, this past week, this past month, the year so far? You know, what, what difference has the gospel made to our lives, if, if at all? This is, this is the reason why Paul wrote Romans chapters 5 to 8. You know, as we as begin these, these new chapters in Romans, we we're about to enter a new section of Romans. And, and in this section, uh, Romans 5 to 8, Paul focuses on the so what of the gospel by emphasizing the wonderful blessings that flow to us if we are in Christ. Now, wh why is this so important to consider the blessings that we have in Christ? Uh, let me, give you, a, uh, let me tell, give you this illustration. You know, imagine an orphan who used to live on the street. You know, he, he grew up on the street. Uh, the, the life on the street was all that he knew. And, and then some loving family comes along and, and they adopt this orphan into their loving home. Uh, the, the parents are completely loving and affectionate to him. They, they lavish on him all the blessings that come from being in a loving family. You know, if you were in the shoes of this orphan, adjusting to this new home would be a shock. You imagine when you enter this new home, you're so used to living life on the street, so used to living for yourself, so used to fending for yourself, the thought of having someone care for you, the thought of someone you can trust implicitly, I, mean, I, I believe that takes some getting used to. It's not something that we can just switch in our minds just like that. You know, but but if, imagine this, as this orphan grows in understanding who he is now, that he has an adoptive family, 
as this often experiences for himself, the affection, the trust, the love, and, and the, the care of this new family. You can imagine his heart beginning to turn. He begins to realize, hey, I, I'm, not, I'm not alone anymore. I can trust in my parents. I, 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 can, I don't have to live for myself. I, I don't have to fend for myself anymore because there, there are people in my life who love me and who care for me. You, you can imagine the heart of this orphan beginning to, to turn more and more towards his adoptive parents and family. And so it is with us as well. You know, God has plucked us off the street, as it were. You know, but coming into God's family is something that we, we take time to get used to. It's almost like we need to learn our new identity. This is who we are. This is who we have in our life. That we're not orphans anymore. We can trust. As the assurance and affection of God fill our hearts more and more, as we come to, to grasp the, the wonderful riches that we have in the gospel, our hearts begin to turn more and more to our loving Heavenly Father. We learn to trust Him. We learn to love Him. We learn to live for Him. I mean, this is why we need to listen to Romans chapters 5 to 8. Because otherwise, I fear that if we lose sight of Christ and the blessings that we have in Him, we, we live in this world as though we are spiritual orphans, cut off from a loving Heavenly Father, and, and we fall back into the patterns and habits of the old life. So in our passage, Paul focuses on the blessing of joy, and he says, True joy is found in God Himself. Verse 11, we rejoice in God. He's the source of our joy, our confidence, and our hope. And then we long for happiness because God made us to know Him and enjoy Him forever. As Augustine famously said, our hearts are restless until they find their rest in Him. So it's a very human thing to yearn for joy. Because we are meant to realize that only God can satisfy the deepest longings of our heart. You know, we tend to find joy in what we trust in. Food, our relationships. You know, if we're single, we, we think finding a boyfriend or girlfriend will give us joy. We think marriage will give us joy. And if we're married, we think having children will give us joy. If we're older, we think our grandchildren will give us joy. No, we, we trust in many things to give us joys, things like our health, our wealth, our careers, our achievements, our experiences. You know, people travel a lot because they want joy, so they travel. No, these things are, are not bad. You know, they, they are, it's good to find joy in these things, but the trouble is when these joys become ultimate in our lives. When we feel that we can't live unless we have these joys in our lives. So we have joy when life is going well, but not so much when life is going badly. Which, which, which is what makes what Paul says here surprising, because Paul 
It's talking about joy in the midst of suffering. You know, how is this even possible? If we trust in all these things to give us joy and we don't have these things, how is joy even possible? You know, we find this hard to understand because so much of our joy depends on our circumstances. Now, having joy doesn't mean that we're always happy or cheerful. Having joy doesn't mean that we walk around with a perpetual grin on our faces. You know, true joy is more than a feeling. It is a feeling to be sure, but it is more than a feeling. True joy is about being confident. Confident in God. You know, the, the word rejoice here in our verse, verse 11, can also be translated boast. It's actually the same word that Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 1, 1 verse 31. Let the one who boasts, same word, boast in the Lord. So Paul is saying we rejoice in God by being confident about Him, by boasting in Him because He is the one in whom we set our hope. Now, this is how we can still have joy even when life is hard. Now, this is how we can still have joy even when we struggle with discouragement, even when we struggle with depression. Because in the darkness, we can still cast our burdens on God. He, regardless of my circumstances, can still be my hope. He can still be my confidence. And so Paul teaches us about rejoicing in God to, like a wise pastor does, he, Paul wants to prepare us for suffering. You know, suffering is not if, but when. You know, some, a, a Christian said, if, if you haven't suffered, you know, just live a bit longer. <laughs> you get there. And even if we are not suffering now, right now in this moment, we, we know brothers and sisters in our midst who are suffering. So, so how can we internalize these truths so that our hearts are strengthened, but we can also strengthen our fellow brothers and sisters who suffer now. So we all need to hear this. We live in a broken and fallen world where many things threaten to take away our joy. So how can we fortify our hearts against despondency and despair? It's not by ignoring pain. It's not by denying that rea that the reality of our suffering we don't have joy by pretending that everything is okay, by showing up at church with a smile on our faces. No, that's not how we have joy. The Bible says we can be honest about our grief, our sorrow. Why? Because the joy of the Lord is our strength. Not, not the joy of my feelings, not the joy of my circumstances, but the joy of the Lord is our strength. So we can't just keep singing, don't worry, be happy to ourselves. Right? I love the, the, these verses from Habakkuk 3. Right? I think the, the, these verses capture that, that sense of joy very well. Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no fruit, fruit, the flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. In other words, if, if I have nothing, if I have nothing. Uh, and that wonderful word, yet, yet, I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. 
So though Yeeks is no longer in the church, yet I will still rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. No pressure, brother. <laughs> so how are we able to rejoice in God? You know, verse 11 goes on to say in our text, it is through our Lord Jesus Christ. Right? True joy is not something we produce ourselves. You know, it's not about the power of positive thinking. It's not about emotional manipulation or willing ourselves to be happy regardless. No, we, we enter into God's joy through God's Son. In fact, joy is a fruit of the Holy Spirit which tells us that it is something that we can't conjure up ourselves. It is a gift of God by His Spirit. In fact, if you go on in Romans, you read chapter 14 in Romans, the kingdom of God is a matter of righteousness, peace and joy in the Holy Spirit. In chapter 15, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing. So friends, God wants us to have joy. God is not a spoiled sport. God wants us to, to experience joy, real joy. And this is why He has given us His Son. And from our verses, we'll see how our joy is rooted in what Jesus has done in the past, is, is rooted in what Jesus is doing in the present, and is rooted in what Jesus will do in the future. So the rest of the sermon, we'll just, have, we'll just go through these three points. Number one, our joy is rooted in what Jesus has done in the past. You know, we, we cannot have joy if we are still in our sin. This is because sin separates us from God, who is the source of true joy. But the good news of the gospel, as we've heard over the past few weeks, is that Jesus brings us back to God, the, the, the giver of joy, if we trust in Him. Verse 9 in our text tells us we are justified by His blood. We are reconciled to God by the death of His Son. Verse 10. In fact, Scripture calls Jesus a man of sorrows. A man of sorrows. He entered into our grief. He took on himself the burden of our sorrows. Why? In order that we might have joy. That's the exchange that Paul speaks of in the earlier chapters in Romans. Jesus was condemned and judged in our place and he died to save sinners like us so that we can have joy, so that we can be forgiven and be made right with God and enter into the joy of the Lord. So we need to ask ourselves, if, if we lack joy, if we lack joy, is it because we are still far from God? So, so you know, your feelings aside, your circumstances aside, if, if we lack joy, is it because we are far from God? You know, David captures this experience for us in, in Psalm 32. You know, he says in Psalm 32, verse 3, when I kept silent, you know, when, when his sins were, were heavy upon him and he refused to confess and repent, you know, when I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. Uh, but but as, as you go on in that psalm, David turns to the Lord and he draws near to God. And when we read of this, 
in, in verses 10 and 11 in that psalm. Many are the sorrows of the wicked, but steadfast love surrounds the one who trusts in the Lord. Be glad in the Lord and rejoice, O righteous, and shout for joy, all you upright in heart. You see that turn around? Right, from grief to joy. Why? Because David comes to God in humble repentance and confession. And then he receives from the Lord the joy of forgiveness. So true joy is based on trusting in the finished work of Christ for us. You know, our, our joy doesn't ultimately depend on what we think, what we experience, what we feel, what's happening to us. Our joy doesn't finally depend on our performance or our success. We can still rejoice in God even though we fail and fall because our joy is secure. Christ has won our joy for us. It's rooted in what He has done in the past. You know, therefore, in times of sorrow and pain, you know, we can look beyond our circumstances to Jesus Christ. You know, we may not fully know the reason for our suffering, but friends, we can know Jesus. We can know the one who never changes. Our joy can remain constant because Christ changes not. So we may lose what is dear to us. People may let us down. And even if the darkness of doubt and depression does not lift, we can still have the abiding joy of Christ. He's the same yesterday, today, and forever. Now, our joy is rooted in the finished work of Christ. Second point, our joy is rooted in what Jesus is doing in the present. You know, in these verses, Paul also talks about our present blessings in Christ. You know, verse 9, we have now, the word now, we have now been justified. Verse 11, we have now received reconciliation. You know, we are justified now, friends. That, that, that's such amazing news. I know we hear that so much that maybe it, it, it just kind of goes over us and we don't realize how profoundly wonderful that statement is. You know, we are now justified. You know, this means that when God looks at us now, He is pleased with us. God regards us as righteous now. He doesn't wait to the end of time to give that verdict, but He gives that verdict now. He doesn't count our sins against us because we are covered with the righteousness not of our own right-making, but the righteousness of His Son. So why is this so important for our joy? You know, if, we, if we're honest with ourselves, I think so much of our joy depends on what people think about us, right? You know, that's why we go through our weeks kind of on a roller coaster ride because our, so much of our joy is linked to the approval that other people give of us. The approval of a spouse, the approval of children, the approval of parents, the approval of my colleagues, my boss, my, my schoolmates, and so on, my friends, and so on and so forth. So when others, feel, when others view us positively, we, we, we feel good about ourselves. We, we have some measure of happiness, but, but then we get down when others don't give us the affirmation and approval that we seek. 
Right? Our experience of joy can, can really go up and down depending on whether the opinions of others of us are good or bad. You know, in, in a similar way, some of us may feel or may think that the Christian life is just about trying to get God's approval. Right? We're living our Christian life as though we don't have His approval. And, and, and His approval is contingent and conditioned on how well I perform in the Christian life. Is that how we think about God's approval? You know, do we wrestle with this sense, of, you know, I, I don't know whether he is pleased with me or not. <laughs> I didn't do my quiet time this morning. Oh, maybe not. <laughs> so do, do we wrestle with that? We lack joy because we wonder if God is, really approves of us. So our sense of joy kind of fluctuates based on our sense of whether God is pleased with me or not. If I do more, then maybe he's pleased. If I don't do enough, then maybe he's not. Friends, we are justified now. That's amazing news. You know, it, it's, not like, it's not like this world where our sense of joy keeps depending on the approval of others that comes and goes. No, God is pleased with us. How do we know that? Because we are now justified. We can be sure that we have His full approval and acceptance. Our joy doesn't depend on trying to earn His favour because He has already declared us righteous. He has already declared that He is favourable towards us. Not because of us. And it's good news that it's not because of us because if it doesn't depend on us, then nothing, nothing, friends, Nothing can ever change our standing with God. Even though we fail and we fall, God will not, indeed cannot, change His mind about us. Friends, let that truth sit in our hearts more and more. Because we are justified in Christ, we have peace with God. Verse 1. And this peace that Paul speaks of is not just a, a peaceful feeling. Peace here refers to how Jesus has made peace between God and us. So the, the problem that we have, God's wrath against us, no longer applies because Christ has paid the penalty for our sin. Therefore, we are now reconciled to God. Our relationship with Him is fully restored. Is, we don't just have a ceasefire with God. We, we enter into this state of shalom, of, of, of deep and amazing blessing in God because we know Him and He knows us. That's the peace of God that Paul speaks of. And in the word in verse 1, we, are, we have peace with God. The word have is present tense. It literally says we are having peace with God. Paul emphasizes that this peace with God is a continual state of enjoyment that we continually Enjoy this state of blessing and favour with God. Peace. Even during times when we don't experience a sense of peace. Therefore, we have boldness and confidence to draw near to God. We have obtained access, verse 2, to God's grace and joy. Right. You know, we, 
some of us have been to see our MPs, right? You know, we have a problem, so we go see our MP to get the MP's help to, to do this or that. You know, why do, we, why do we go see our MP? Because we think that our MP can give us access, right? You know, we, you know, we try certain routes, those routes seem to be blocked to us, so we go to the person whom we think can get a hearing for us with the relevant government agencies, right? We, we want access. Well, here in this passage, we have access through Jesus Christ. And, and Christ is better than any MP, <laughs> right? You know, the meet, the meet the People sessions only happen once a week. But Jesus is open 24-7. We have continual access to God through Jesus Christ. You know, we, we can come freely to Him at any time, confident that we can stand in His grace. You know, studies have shown that secure children tend to be happy children. Right? Security, studies have shown, is, is one of the fundamental building blocks to a happy child. Can't be a happy child if you're not secure. You know, children, secure children are happy because they know they can rely on their parents. They know that whatever life throws at them, they can run back to their parents and find help in times of need. They know that they can explore the world with safety, knowing that their parents are there to catch them should they fall. Right? Paul, is, Paul is trying to tell us, hey friends, don't you know you are secure children? in Christ. You are completely secure in Him. You can enter into life with that confidence that whatever happens to you, He will love you. He will catch you. For more than catch you, He is sustaining you through day-to-day -day life. We can rejoice in God because we can be completely secure about our relationship with Him. He is present with us now. And the fact that we are now justified and reconciled to God assures us of this one vital truth, that God is for us. God is for us. And this helps strengthen us in tough times. Because when we suffer, suffering can produce in us two questions. Right? Does God care? Is God in control? But these verses answer a resounding yes. Because God is for us. You know, this, this kind of uh, previews what we will read in Romans chapter 8. You know, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to His purpose. If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things. Because God is for us, we need not doubt His goodness when trials come. God is not punishing us with suffering. Rather, God is working in us, even now, in our trials. We can trust Him and know that He is working in our lives to make us more and more like His Son. God refines our character through the purifying fires of suffering. As Oli preached last week, suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. I think one of my favorite hymns is uh, How Firm a Foundation, and I love that stanza. It says, when, fiery trials thy, when through fiery trials thy pathway shall lie, 
My grace, all sufficient, shall be thy supply. The flame shall not hurt thee. I only design thy dross to consume and thy goal to refine. You know, trials expose the idols of our hearts. They, they clear away the dross in our lives. You know, when we suffer, when we go through trials, you know, God reveals to us where we've tried to find our joy in things or people apart from Him. Trials wean us off the false joys in our lives because God takes them away in His kindness and reminds us that we are to find our joy in Him alone. So Jesus is working in us now because we are justified, we are reconciled, we can trust that Christ is at work even in our deepest distress. Finally, our joy is rooted in what Jesus will do in the future. Past, present, and future. Joy is connected to hope. Right? Our salvation is not yet complete. We have been saved, we are being saved, and we shall be saved. Verses 9 and 10 speak of what Jesus will do in the future. We shall be, future tense, saved by Jesus from the wrath of God. Verse 9, verse 10, we shall be, future tense again, saved by His life. You know, a day of judgment is coming. And on that day, God will call each one of us to account for how we've lived. Every thought, every word, every deed. And friends, apart from God's grace, we will face the full force of His judgment. And that's a frightening thought that will really rob us of joy. But if we trust in Jesus, Paul says, we shall be saved from the wrath of God. We shall be saved by His life. In Jesus, He saves us from God's wrath. I mean, our great enemy, Satan, the accuser, seeks to condemn us before God. He accuses us of sin, and rightly so. Rightly so. What should we say to Him in response as He brings those accusations against us? Guilty. What should we say? We shall be saved by Jesus' life. We shall be saved by Jesus' life. That's our only response, friends. That is our only response. We shall be saved by Jesus' life. We have a great high priest whose name is love, who ever lives and pleads for us. Our risen Savior intercedes on our behalf continually before the throne. He says, don't let that one die. Who is condemned? Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. We'll do, he's doing so now and he will, do, he will do so on that great day when he returns. And one day we shall be raised with Christ in the power of his life, in the power of his resurrection life. We can rejoice in hope 
of the glory of God because we are assured that this is what Jesus will do one day in the future. And our joy comes from this hope that we have in Christ. So how can we be so sure that we'll make it to the end? You know, look at the logic of verses 9 and 10. You know, I'm not sure if you noticed this, but in these two verses, Paul argues from the greater to the lesser. And the, the logic goes like this. If, if, if Christ has already done the greater thing, how will he fail to do the easier thing? Right? Christ has already done the more difficult thing. He will not fail to do what is easier. If Jesus has already shed his own blood as a sacrificial offering for our sin in order to justify us, then he will surely save us from the wrath of God. If Jesus has already done the more difficult thing of reconciling us to God while we were still sinners and still enemies of God, then how can he fail to save us now that we are God's beloved children and friends? This, this, this friends, is, is the sure anchor of our hope that Christ will do it because he has already done what is more difficult and what remains it's comparatively easier for him to accomplish. If Jesus died to save us, then how much more will he keep us saved until the end, now that he is alive? You know, we lack joy because we are often worried about the future. You know, we're anxious about what's to come. We're worried about this or that in the days and months to come. But Jesus has secured our future. He has. These two verses guarantee that. Jesus has secured our future. And because of that, he promises to give us true joy and hope. Friends, he, he invites us now to come to him, to turn away from our fading hopes, to, to turn away from trusting in our passing joys, and to find our joy in Him because of what He has done, what He's doing, and what He will do. Friends, we can be completely confident in Christ. He will finish the work that He started in us. In Him, we can truly rejoice in God. And friends, if you have this hope, don't keep it to yourself. Right? If you have this joy in Christ, if you have this hope, tell others. Tell others, there are brothers and sisters here who struggle with grief, with sorrow, with a sense of hopelessness. Speak to them, you know, speak love and joy into their lives by sharing this hope that we have in Christ. Tell those who don't know Jesus so that they would also come to know Jesus. This, this friends, is why we do evangelism. This is why we talk about Tuesday Inquiry. This is why we talk about Seek and Discover. It, it, it's about bringing people into the joy of the Lord, right? That's why we tell them about Jesus. We do so for their joy. Friends, we, we, we live in a world that is dark and, as, as the studies have shown, increasingly gloomy, right? Life is messy and confusing. 
but we can cling on to this hope of Christ. Our final destination is certain, and, and this helps us to make sense of the journey, however difficult the journey may be. And one day, one day, friends, our hope will turn to sight. We will see our Lord face to face. Then, friends, then, we shall experience pure joy. Joy that's no longer mixed with sorrow and pain, no longer corrupted by sin. But friends, pure joy. And we will be able to say with the psalmist, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Let's pray together. Gracious Father, we thank you for how your word meets us where we are. And Father, as we come to you now, we acknowledge that we need your grace. We, we come to you not as the proud or self-sufficient, but we come to you as the broken and needy. Father, we plead with you now that you would meet with us, that you would help us to take in your word that we've just heard. You've spoken to us about joy and about hoping in you. You've spoken to us about the work of Christ on our behalf. Father, we pray that these truths would be pressed deep into our hearts. Help us to look to you for joy, to trust you, to be confident in you. Father, in, in, in our quiet now, we, we pray that you would lead us to respond to you. Father, before we sing our final song, we pray that you would help us to do business with you now. May your spirit convict us of our need for you. Help us to turn to you afresh through your Son. Father, you know our hearts. We pray that now in this quiet moment, you would search us. That you reveal to us things that we've trusted in joys that we've tried to find apart from you, help us to turn away from them and to find joy in you alone. Father, we thank you and praise you that your joy is our strength. Help us to be strong in you, in your Son, Jesus Christ. We pray this in his name. Amen. Amen. Now, we talked a lot about joy and some about suffering. Uh, there's this really excellent book on the book table downstairs. It's called A Shelter in the Storm, Meditations on God and Trouble. So you'd like to, it's, it's written, uh, it's a 52-week meditation on Psalm 27. So if you'd like to think more about how God speaks to us and gives us joy in the midst of trouble, this is a good book to read. Uh, it's, it's, on, it's on the book table downstairs, so you can pop, pop by after the service to get a copy if you want. Thanks. Let's rise for the song of response.